Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 3rd, and our chapter for today is Romans chapter 15, so let's get right into it. We're again following the train of thought that started back in chapter 13, dealing with the love of God. And I spoke to you a couple of days ago about the government, how we are to act toward them, how we are to react toward them, how we are to love one another and treat one another with dignity and grace and respect. And I'll tell you, this will solve a multitude of problems if we would once again, even just in our Christian homes, teach respect and love and dignity and integrity within the home. That's where it all begins is the home. The church is not the foundational unit of society. It is the home. So goes the home. So goes the church. So goes the church. So goes the culture. And so we have to start in our own homes. And how do we do that? Well, we put on the love of God. Every day we need to robe ourselves in the love of God. Why? Because this is the greatest tool to reach people. It was the love of God that brought me to Jesus. It was not judgment and damnation every time I went to a church. Growing up and I went, I must admit, just simply because that's where the girls were. And if you wanted a decent girl, you had to go to church. So when I got to be a teenager, I'd go to church, go to a special meeting. You know, I was always being invited, thank God. And so I went from time to time. But many times I went to churches where the pastor was running up and down the aisles in the hills of Tennessee. He was shouting and slobbering and spitting and saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Bless God. More than he said any words I'd ever heard anywhere and didn't have a lot of content. I wasn't a content man, but I knew better than that. And it didn't make a lot of sense, but I had long hair. I had it down on my back, on my shoulders. It was curly. It was bushy. And I liked it. And I was in rebellion. I smoked cigarettes. I used bad language. And all I heard about every time I went in to the church was you need to quit cussing, smoking, drinking, and uh, you need to get your hair cut and all of these kinds of things. And it just made me want to go the other way. It wasn't convicting to me. It was so damning and judgmental. I didn't want to have anything to do with the church because I thought that's what it was all about was negativity and coming down on somebody. I knew what I was doing. Nobody had to tell me what I was doing. I mean, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was not the best, but that wasn't what won me. What won me to Jesus, what led me to Jesus was the love of God in my grandmother and others who would not let me go. You see, it's really, really important that we understand that God is wanting us to love him, love each other. And when we do this, people then see a difference because it's not natural to love those who love you. That's natural. 
To be good to those who are good to you, that's natural. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you only do that, if you only love those who love you, good to those who are good to you, uh, wave at those who wave at you, what do you do more than the heathen, than the lost people? But the child of God is to love those who are unlovable those who are unlovely, those who are unkind. Now, that doesn't mean you put them in leadership. That doesn't mean that you have them as bosom buddies, but it does mean that you treat them the best you can with dignity and respect. Now, there's times that you have to deal with somebody, but even that should be out of an attitude of love, not just for that person, but the people around. That certainly has to be done within the church of Jesus and has to be done within a family. Everybody has responsibilities. But what I'm saying is Jesus talked about this in the closing hours of his life. Paul's just picking up on this theme. He calls it the love of Christ. He calls it the law of Christ. James calls it the royal law. Jesus in that upper room of the Passover, in that large room, he gathered the disciples together. They had a meal together. And after supper, he was discipling them. They were his Talmudim. They were his learners. They had enrolled in his school. And so what did he say to them in the closing moments and hours he had with them? He said, a new commandment I give unto you, a new commandment, a new teaching. And here's what it is, that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you. In the same way that I've loved you, I want you to love one another. And if you have this kind of love one for another, then you are my disciples. And then he said, by this, by you loving one another, will all men know that you are my disciples. And how is that, Lord? Is it by going out and getting somebody's face and telling them what they're doing wrong? No, 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 no. It is by loving one another. They'll say, as they did about the early church, it was so attractive to the Greco-Roman world that they said, look how they love one another. Look how they take care of one another. Look how they encourage one another. Look how they edify and build up one another. Look how they do this. Why? Because that's not natural. That's not normal. No, the world that we live in is dog-eat-dog. It is we bought into that Darwinistic, atheistic lie that the only those who are the toughest, the meanest, the, the best that survive, they're the ones that are going to thrive. And those who are weak, those who cannot take care of themselves, we need to cast them aside. The most vulnerable, the unborn, we cast aside. Those who are old, uh, well, we don't need to give them this surgery. I mean, let, that's bad use of money. I mean, they may only live another year, two years, three years, and, and they can't contribute to society anymore. Let's get rid of the seniors. And then it is, okay, well, let's just help them. They won't die anyway. They're not worth anything. Let's convince them to go ahead and end it. That way they won't cost us much. And so human life becomes just like chattel property or less. And next thing you know, we're going to take the special needs kids, and we will do away with them with special needs adults. We'll do away with them. You say, well, that would never happen. Well, you need to read the history books because you see when you start disrespecting any human life at any stage in life, any condition in life, it's not long before you become the arbiter of that, which is right. And that, which is wrong. And you start saying this life is more important than the other. You see, this came in so deceitfully in our culture. When I was in school, we called them lifeboat stories. 
they put us in the place of God. Okay, you got an old man, you got a young person, you've got uh, a woman, you've got a woman with a baby. They're all in a lifeboat. Who do you throw out first? Now, what kind of education is that? Those are not decisions that people in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade and high school need to be making or in college. You know why? That's not what education is all about. That's indoctrination into trying to get you to see that one life is more valuable than another instead of saying we're all created in the image of God and what we need to do is treat one another with dignity and respect and love. It's so deceitful. It sounds so good. It sounds so educational. It sounds so modern. It sounds so, and in our day, woke. You see, you and I are not the arbiters of what's right and wrong, and we're not the final say on who lives and who dies. And when we start taking that into our own hands, we're taking the place of God. Why would we do that? Because we have knocked God out of our lives, and we don't want him in our lives anymore. So the Apostle Paul deals with this, and he keeps on And when he comes to chapter 15. He's been talking about you don't do something just because you have a right to do it. You don't do something just because you have a freedom to do it. There is restraint. There is discipline. There is the sense that others might be hurt. Others might be wounded. Others might be broken because of lack of knowledge or lack of sensitivity or too sensitive, whatever the case is. That doesn't mean that you cannot do things on your own, but you don't have to flaunt that in the face of others to show that you can do what you want to do. That is not the love of God. Might be the Western way, might be American democracy. That's not God's way. And the Bible should have the final authority in our lives over anything, over any document, over the Constitution, over the Bill of Rights, over anything. You say, wait just a minute. No, I'm not waiting a minute on anything. You can cut my tongue out. You can put me in prison. The Bible is the final authority in all of life and all of eternity. When did that change? It changed when we tried to please everybody else instead of God. Now, ultimately, God is the one we seek to please. This is not uh, obliterated in what Paul says here. No, no, it's enhanced. He says, we then who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses, the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Wow. You mean it's not about us? You mean we're not the victim? You mean we're not the ones that life is built around? Have you ever been around anybody and they ask you how you're doing? Not because they're interested in how you're doing, but so they can tell you how they're doing. It's usually not good. It's usually a complaint. Have you, don't, you, don't you have people like that around you? Well, I don't know where you're living because everywhere I've been, anywhere in the world, there are people like that. Even if I can't understand the language, I can see the eye rolls with the people that I'm with. Why? Because this is part of human nature. We're so selfish. We're so self-centered. And so Paul said, look, it's not about you. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to building him up. It's not mean that you compromise and do something that's ungodly or you do something that's out of the way or you do something that's, that's not in accordance with the scriptures. But do what you can to build up your neighbor, not tear them down. For even Christ did not please himself, for it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached fell on me. This is what the scripture says. For 
Whatever things were written before time were written for our learning and for our own teaching, that we, through the patience and the perseverance and the scriptures and the comfort, the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, trust, eager anticipation that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. Now, did you did you catch that? The things that were written aforetime, what's that, in the history books? No, 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 no. He's talking about the Tanakh. He's talking about the Old Testament. See, the New Testament was just being written. It certainly was not distributed and disseminated among the church yet. It wasn't even brought together as a book yet. But no, the established writings that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 at the end of his life, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. He's talking about the Tanakh. He's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't even been compiled yet. And so what I'm saying is the Old Testament was good enough to turn the world upside down by the apostles. The Old Testament was good enough to and great enough to give guidance in every area of life. The Old Testament was teaching then, but somehow after the first century, it's no longer relevant. No, that's a theological decision, not a biblical one. And you see, theology can be wrong. No, the teachings of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation They are accurate, and they teach us the truth about who God is and what he's done for us. The teaching all the way through Scripture is it's not about us. It's about loving other people. And we are to learn from that how God dealt with the people of Israel in ages past, how he's dealing with them today. We need to see this because the greatest miracle since the resurrection of Jesus was not the Reformation, It was the return of Israel from all over the earth in the fulfillment of biblical prophecy that people had for 2,000 years said was not going to happen because they said that God was finished with the Jew and that no longer would he use the Jew. And that's just not Bible. That's inaccurate. The church never replaces the Jewish people in the heart of God. And after the church leaves this earth, Whenever you think that is, the tribulation is going to come upon the earth whenever you think that is. And the Bible says during that time, God is going to save instantaneously, simultaneously, 144,000 Jews to be his flaming evangelists throughout the earth. They are going to be in the forefront again. Why? Because the church, I believe, will be gone. I believe that's what the Bible teaches, and I've spoken on that in many podcasts. But what I want you to see is this, that God has said that we are to receive one another. We are to have the mind of Christ. We are to grant one another grace. We're to be like-minded toward one another according to Messiah Jesus. He said, so that you may be of one mind, one mouth, to the glory that is to attribute value, praise to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 7, Therefore receive one another just as Messiah has received us. And all of this is to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Jew. He went to the Jew first to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. 
Oh, wow. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Well, he's not talking about the church. He's talking about Israel. That's a quote. Israel doesn't go away. God's still using Israel. God will use Israel. Many in Israel have come to Messiah. Many Jews around the world have come to Messiah. And many more will. What I'm saying to you is we need to love the Jewish people. We need to reverence the Jewish people. Why? Without it, we would not have the word of God. We wouldn't have the Bible. We would not have the great covenants. We would not have Messiah. You say, well, God would, God didn't. You can woulda, shoulda, coulda all you want to. That's not what God says. God says he chose these people out of his own good pleasure. He chose us out of his own good pleasure. And the two are not contradictory to each other, but they go hand in hand to accomplish the purpose of God. The rest of chapter 15 and into 16 of the book of Romans deals with Paul's future. With his journeys that were coming up, he outlines his missionary journeys, at least what he hopes to be his missionary journeys. He gives final greetings and benedictions, and the greatest book on salvation in the entire Word of God comes to a close. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.